second. Oh. Ah, cool. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to RUF. My name is Sammy. I'm the campus minister here. Hey, so if you've been with us, you know we're going through a series called Simply Jesus, and we're looking really from, uh, we started in Genesis, we're making our way to Revelation, just talking about how all of Scripture really is pointing us to Jesus, that Jesus is our hope, uh, not only for comfort, but for salvation, for life, everything we just sang. And tonight we're getting into Paul's epistles, and we're looking at Philippians chapter 3, and it's in your handout, I think I misprinted it in your handout actually, um, I think I forgot to put the actual uh, Bible book in there. But we're doing Philippians 3, and we're reading verses 4 to 9. And tonight we're talking about identity. We're talking about how do we... um, I think it's one of the greatest struggles, not only of life, but of college, is knowing who you are. And especially as a Christian, really more than knowing who you are, remembering who you are in Christ. And so Paul in this passage really is striking at that. So read it with me. Philippians 3, starting in verse 4. Here's what Paul writes. He says, If anyone else thinks... He has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let me pray for us, and I want to kind of dive into this passage for a little while together tonight. Let's pray first. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends that you would um, show us what it means to belong to you. And I pray especially that you would renew us and give us a beautiful vision of this new, more than a gift, this new life that we have in you. Lord, there's another place in your word where uh, your servant Paul says, Christ, more my life is hidden above with him. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray tonight that as we think about ourselves, would you give us the grace of knowing ourselves in you? what it means to be found in you, what it means to be united to you, what it means to belong to you, and that you would encourage us. Lord, we need you to send your spirit to encourage us, to lift up our hearts, to lift up our faces, that we might live in the joy of the salvation you've given to us. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So Donald Glover is one of my favorite actors in Atlanta, which is his show that's on the air right now. I think it's one of the most genius shows on TV. And about four years ago, he had this, if you follow him at all, he's also raps his childish Gambino, but he had this kind of breakdown. It's when he had left the show community and he had started, I think he already put out the first childish album, but he was in this hotel, this residence inn, and uh, he had this kind of breakdown that he sort of Instagrammed and he just owned like four hotel notes, kind of wrote everything. It's a really beautiful example of vulnerability of what he was feeling and thinking I'm just going to read it because I think it gets at this identity crisis that we often can feel, not just as human beings living in in a broken world, uh, but also especially maybe in in the college years. So here's what he says. I'm just going to read it verbatim. It's a little uncomfortable at points, so let's just dive into that. He says, I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid my parents won't live long enough to see my kids. I'm afraid my show will fail. I'm scared my girl will get pregnant at not the exact time we want. I'm scared I'll never reach my potential. 
I'm afraid she's still in love with that dude. I'd love to know who that dude is. I didn't leave community rap, community to rap. I didn't. I don't want to rap. I wanted to be on my own. I've been sick this year. I've seen a bunch of people die this year. This is the first time I've felt helpless, but I'm not on that. Kept looking for something to be in with, follow someone's blueprint, but you have to be on your own. I feel like I'm letting everyone down. I'm afraid people hate who I really am. I'm afraid I hate who I really am. I'm scared people will find out what I masturbate to. I'm afraid I'm here for nothing. I feel that this will feel pretentious. I'm afraid this is all an accident. I'm scared I'll be Tyrese. I'm afraid Dan Harmon hates me. I'm scared I won't know anything ever again. I'm scared I never knew anything. I'm afraid I'll regret this. I'm afraid this doesn't matter at all. I'm scared I'll grow out or I'll never grow out of bro rape. I'm afraid people think I hate my race. I'm afraid people think I hate women. I hate people can say anything. I hate caring what people think. I'm afraid there's someone better for you or me. And that's where he ends up. And as someone who's like a minister of the gospel, I want to like get on his Instagram and just DM him real quick. Like there's this guy, Jesus, I want to tell you about. But I think what he gets at in that, in that moment is what a lot of us feel. And maybe you don't feel all of that. Maybe you feel some of that. Or maybe you've never been in a place in your life where you feel any of that. But I think when Paul gets to us in Philippians 3, he can relate to Donald Glover in this, in this weird, beautiful way. Where he basically says, listen, I lived this life that ended up being pointless. And then I found something far better, or actually was found by something far, far better in Jesus. And he gave me this new life. And so I want to talk about just this idea of identity for a little bit together tonight. And the kind of the three things that I want to talk about out of this passage is, number one, looking for an identity. Number two, finding your identity in Christ. And then thirdly, learning to live from your identity instead of for your identity. So first, let's talk about looking for an identity, how we, the ways that we do that, broken ways that we do that. Secondly, finding our identity in Christ, what that means. And then lastly, let's talk about living, learning to live from your identity instead of for your identity. So think with me for a little bit together tonight. So first, looking for an identity. So here's the way that I think when I've thought about it are the typical ways that we do this or the typical ways that we think about ourselves. And if you envision, this is going to sound cheesy, so just bear with me for a second. If you envisioned yourself as an iceberg, just really bear with me. When you think about there are kind of three, let's just say there are three layers of this iceberg. They're just kind of the tip of the iceberg would be what we could just call the externals or the things people can see about us. So it's, it's basically the things that people can see and the things that people we want people to see. So that has everything to do with our appearance. It has everything to do with the way that we care, carry ourselves within our personality. It has everything to do with why you chose the shoes you chose, how much that mattered to you on your way to already up here. If you're like me and you kind of put careful thought into, you know, how you're going to come across and, and, and the way that you want your appearance to go. And if we're being honest, a lot of us, that's how we relate to each other. I mean, if you've, you've been on campus long enough to know there are sections of campus that really does come down to like this group wears this and judges people who wear that. Right. Or that group wears this and judges or looks this way is into that sort of hairstyle and judges people who do that. And we've all kind of, I think, if we're being honest, felt that. Whether it's Greek, non-Greek, just whatever the sub-communities of, of USC are, we can reduce people or kind of live for or find identity in just simply the externals of our appearance, what people can see and what we want people to see. And then I think if you move down a little bit in that iceberg, so to speak, there would be the second layer that is still, I think, pretty visible that we could simply call our experiences. 
what we've, where we've come from, what kind of school we went to, what kind of family we, we came from, the, the kind of size town that we lived in. Like, I remember when I came to USC, it was no mistake that I really gravitated toward either people who came from my same small high school in Sumter, South Carolina, or people, oddly enough, who went to small private schools in, like, Orangeburg or, like, smaller towns in South Carolina, and we felt like we had this connection, like we could understand each other in a way. And sometimes that can be if you're from far away, maybe you connect with people who are far away, too. If you're from Columbia, maybe you connect to people you kind of knew in high school. All that relates to our experiences, right? The kind of the kind of experiences that we have shared with someone that gives us some kind of connection, right? And then if we kept going, we would say ultimately as Christians, that third like layer that often no one can see is what we could simply call uh, how you relate to God. Like basically the truest part of your spiritual being, where you are right now in relationship or not in relationship with God. And that's the part that most of us most honestly don't or can't see off the bat. Now, here's the thing you have to see. Here's the broken way that we do it. The broken way that we do it is we really focus on those first two. And we kind of ignore that most, the deeper layers of who we are as human beings made in God's image. We either do what we could call gross materialism, where I literally am what I wear, what I drive, you know, the kind of music I listen to, the things that I own. In other words, we're saying I am what I own. And we think about identity almost exclusively in those terms. Or we do it another way, we could call it the new Victorianism, where I am what I do or what I feel. And we reduce identity to, this is, these are the kinds of things I do as a person. That's where you can get into the party or non-party scene. We can talk about this all night. Or that I am what I feel. I am my desires. I am my sexuality. I am, you know, a desiring being and that defines who I am. The way that I think about myself in college is I had a, um, I don't think I've ever shared this before. So it'll be a little bit vulnerable. When I was a, a sophomore in college, I rushed this fraternity and really loved it. Met a bunch of great, um, it wasn't a Christian fraternity, but there were a bunch of just beautiful, can I say beautiful Christian guys? I think I could say that. Not me, but they were. And that I just became really good friends with. And, uh, but I remember some of them were actually like handsome guys. And there was this one day where, uh, this is going to sound ridiculous, but bear with me. This is when Abercrombie and Fitch was still a thing. And, um, and literally, they would come on college campuses, and they would look for, like, potential male models. And so they had, they, had, they had stopped a few of my friends in the fraternity and been like, hey, like, have you ever thought about, with this one friend, Matt, in particular, like, have you ever thought about, do you like Abercrombie? Have you ever thought about modeling? And I remember when he, when he told me this, I was, like, crushed inside. And I was like... I want to be stopped, right? Here's the thing. I had like put on a solid, not freshman 15, but a solid like freshman 60 at this point. Thank you, Wendy, spicy chicken number six and sleep. So I was not like, I was definitely not a male model, you know, if you're tracking with me, It'd be for a lot of reasons. But I remember thinking, being so confused at that time in life where I was like, who am I? Like I kind of had this identity in high school where I was sort of known as the youth group kid that played basketball and was somewhat popular in my high school. And then I got to Carolina and all of that was destroyed. And I was like looking for an, an identity. And thankfully it wasn't in God's providence to be an Abercrombie and Fitch model. <laughs> Which is ridiculous on lots of levels. Um, but it, it hits at home like that, that feeling though of who am I now? Like 
who is Sammy Rhodes? Who is, who are you? And I think we, we have this question at the, at the core of our being, and our world doesn't really help us. But I think Paul begins to. So first, looking for an identity, but second, finding your identity in Christ. And here's the thing you have to see out of the bat is becoming a Christian really does flip that iceberg on its tip, so to speak. Where you can begin to say the truest thing about me is my relationship to Jesus. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. He lays it out for him what it looked like. He really goes back all the way to his family. He goes back through all of the layers of his religiosity and the ways he really did rise to the, the ultimate ranks of what he could do. And then he says, he shows us how Jesus completely flipped that on its head in a way that brought life and joy and healing to the point where Paul uses such strong language here. Rubbish is a huge, it really is a sort of strong word that Paul says that basically is saying all that stuff is worthless compared to what it means now to have this new life in Christ. And this is the way it happens, right? Jesus, he's saying, is my life now. Jesus alone gets to define me now. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is he has defined us. And we know this, right? We know that Jesus really, when you think about the cross, this is what the cross is. Jesus took our sinful, broken identity on himself, the one that has taken us to places and and made us go after things and do things that we knew were not right, that we knew were destroying us. And Jesus at the cross takes that identity and all of the hell and all of the consequences and all of the judgment it rightly deserves. And he really does do it to give us this new identity, to be seen as spotless and righteous. That's what Paul goes on to talk about as the righteousness that it is by faith and simply looking to and believing in the work and life of Jesus and the death of Jesus on your behalf. And he says, this is me now. I'm not the old me. I am a new me in Christ, that Christ really took my sinful identity and gave me his righteous one. And I think about, there's a Mark Twain uh, book, The Prince and the Pauper, that I love, that sort of, it's a, it's a crazy story, but basically the short, end of the, the short of the story is this pauper who's grown up in poverty his whole life is at the gates of the prince, and he's in filthy rags, and the prince invites him, he comes to the gates in this kind moment and invites him in, and in this weird moment, the prince invites the pauper to try on his clothes, and so the pauper does, but at this exact moment, the guards come into the room, and they mistake the pauper for the prince now and the prince now for the pauper. So the prince ends up going to this old hard life of what the pauper knew growing up, being beaten by a stepfather, living in abject poverty, just being crushed. And the pauper now gets to live this unbelievably rich life as a, as a prince. And I remember reading that thinking, this is just a glimpse of the gospel. That we really, Jesus does take our filthy rags to himself on the cross and he gives us a, the fresh pair of clothes, his righteous robes uh, that we now have. That's who we are now. Here's what that means for us. That we don't have to be wrapped up in all the things that control us in terms of trying to find an identity that we do all the time. It means this. It means that we don't have to be wrapped up and driven by other people's approval of us. Of what other people think of us. Because we know who we are in Christ, and we know his approval is yes and amen to the umph degree over us eternally. That means we don't have to be driven anymore by our accomplishments, by your GPA, by your resume, that you really do. Like, I, I get that it matters, but do you understand, like, there is a deeper, truer identity that Jesus loves you and is going to open doors for you and take care of you. He really is. 
And it also means you don't have to be driven or wrapped up in your appearance. That Jesus really does have you. That he knows his plans for like your husband or your wife. Like he, he really does, he, he's got you. And when you begin to know yourself and find yourself in Christ, you can begin to let some of these things that we strive for and live for and work for go. Um, I think about this, like what, basically another way to say this is that Jesus alone can, can bear the full weight of our identity. You see that quote by Dick, Dick Keyes in your quote, God alone, Jesus alone can bear the weight of your identity. This is what I think about the first time I ever got into an Eno hammock was the most, one of the most terrifying moments of my life. It was at Georgia Southern, the school I used to be at, and it was in this place sort of similar to the Horseshoe. And I remember students, Enos were like not a thing back in the day, and they had, like my students were, they've kind of become a thing. And I was like, what are these hammocks? They look so flimsy. And I remember a student setting it up and being like, just hop in. I was like, are you sure? It's like, I'm not a small guy. He's like, yeah, that's fine. But I remember like getting in that thing, thinking it was just going to drop, you know, like there's no way this thing's going to hold me, right? Like there's no way this thing can hold all of me. And I think this is what I want you to see is what Paul is trying to say to us is that Jesus really is the only person that can hold all of you, all of your desires, all of your dreams, all of your plans, all of your, what's in your heart. Jesus alone can bear the full weight of your identity. And so what does that free us to do? So the last thing I want you to see is it frees us to live. We're used to and brokenness living for an identity. But now in Christ, we get to live from an identity. With the, and we're constantly coming back to it, right? The, the, the call of the scriptures is always to remember not just who God is, but to remember who we are in him. That's the call throughout scripture. And that's Paul's call here is to learn to live from your identity instead of for it. It means you have this new identity, this new relationship with God. That you no longer have to live as an orphan. That you really can live as his child who was cherished and loved and sung over. You know, Zephaniah 3, where that picture of God holding us like his children and singing songs of joy. That God really does love you. You have a new relationship with him. You also have a new relationship with others. We long for you have to be a place where you come and find deep friendship. That gets beyond appearance that gets beyond even shared experiences, that gets to the root of who you really are. That's why we're, we long to, that's why we as, as staff try to <laughs> grab coffee and do that awkward thing of we really want to know your story because we really want to know how we can love you and serve you. And we want you guys to do that with each other, right? To learn how to, to relate in this new body that Jesus has put you into and given you to. It means you have a new relationship to sin. You're no longer defined by your past. You're now defined by Christ's past. You're no longer defined by your failures. You're no longer defined by your, even your struggles. But you are now defined by the, the, not just the righteousness of Jesus, but the victory of Jesus that's going to unfold itself throughout patiently, slowly throughout your life, that your relationship to sin is now different. It's not who you are anymore. We could go to Romans 6 and just kind of unpack, like you are now risen with Christ and it's not who you are anymore. And the last thing, um, I love this, this quote from Ferguson where he talks about learning that we're not, he calls it ugly duckling Christians. Look at it in your handout. I'm going to read it for us. It's a little bit longer, but I love it. He says, the great mistake many of us make is to look only at our sin and failure and then ask a little despairingly, what can I do? 
But our need is not to do. It is, first of all, to understand what God has done. To see that what he has made us through the Son, through his Son, is a man or a woman who has died with Christ to sin's dominion and has been raised with Christ to newness of life. We are those over whom sin no longer has any dominion. Like the ugly duckling, if you know that story, then I may say, I'm not under sin's dominion. I'm a new creature. I am not what I thought I was, nor what I once was. I am not an ugly duckling Christian. I am a child of God. The way I think about it is, I mentioned a few weeks ago, Cinderella Man is one of my favorite movies, and there's a scene in there toward the end where uh, Jimmy Braddock's about to go fight Max Beer, and this beautiful scene is is Russell Crowe, you know, in his prime, and Renee Zellweger in her prime, and she wants to sit him down. It's the night before the fight, and they're kind of at the house, and he's about to go, what everyone kind of thinks is, he's going to lose, maybe even die. And the night before she sits him, and there's this moving scene where here's what she says to him. She says, uh, so you just remember who you are. Uh, You're the bulldog of Bergen and the pride of New Jersey. You're everybody's hope and the kid's hero. And you are the champion of my heart, James J. Braddock. And I'm like crying. There's this moving scene between a husband and wife. You like long for mirrors to be like that. And it's often not. I'm not going to lie to you. But sometimes it is. But when I watch that scene, I think about what we're talking about. And we could say it like this, right? So you just remember who you are. You are a new creation. You have passed from death to life. You are a child of the king. You have full access to the lap of your father. You are beloved of God, so delighted in he sings over you. You were loved before the foundations of the world, which means, in the words of Isaiah, though the mountains may depart and though the hills might be removed, God's love for you is not going anywhere. And that you belong to Jesus. And he is proud and joyfully calls you his brother and sister. And he has done everything and more, such that he can say it is finished on your behalf. And you belong to him. And he's got you. And he's got you forever. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would um, root us in who we are in you. And would you begin to let us live in the joy and the hope and the courage of that and the love of that. I pray that you would do that in our midst even tonight. That we would begin to love and know each other in that way. And encourage and meet each other and serve each other. And hold each other's stories carefully in that way. Lord, I pray these things were Christ in your name. Amen. Come thou fount of every blessing.